Greetings and salutations, one and all. Welcome to today's episode of Risk and Reels. I'm your host, Jeffrey Wheatman. Uh, we are joined today by a very dear old friend of mine, Eric Cowperthwaite. Uh, Eric and I have worked together in a variety of different roles. Eric is the newly minted COO for Threat Hunter by Milton Security. Um, welcome, Eric. It is so nice to see you. It's been a while. It has been a while, Jeff. Jeez, uh, maybe two years, three years, however Could long. Be. The, yeah, yeah. I have Since I have no time, no, no sense of time yeah. with COVID. I yeah. something happened two weeks ago or two years ago, and I I don't I don't know. Yeah, I know we've talked yes. in the year over those years, but I don't think we've been together in person. No, in no. Well, hopefully period. we'll see each other with conference season coming up. So yeah. Uh, sure. All right, awesome. So we're gonna. I definitely want to hear a little bit about your your new role uh, in at at uh, Threat Hunter. But first, we're gonna talk about movies like we always do. Um, <laughs> okay. So um, here's my question for you, Mr. Calperthwaite. What is your favorite musical film? Wow, thanks, Jeff. Um, <laughs> so. The first thing that comes to mind, because my wife and I just watched it, uh, is Mamma Mia, which okay. I've also seen. Um, I've also seen in person as a play in uh, in the Off Broadway series, and um, you know it's fantastic because of the music of ABBA, and it's just it's really upbeat and entertaining, and has a great story about family so so that's pretty cool but there's also um the the other thing that popped into my head is the sound of music which you sort of can't go wrong with right so that's the super safe answer um, when was the last time you saw sound of music i i haven't seen it for a super long time but it, maybe it's time to revisit maybe get my kids on that bandwagon uh, probably five years or something okay and then, um, so I'm I'm giving you three different movies for different reasons, right? Uh, Mamma Mia, because I just watched it, like I said. Saw it in the Off-Broadway series. Sound of Music, because it's safe. Um, and then and then I think there's Fiddler on the Roof, uh, which is sort of a timeless classic that you can't argue with. So. So, all right, good. I, I'm a I'm a fan of Fiddler, uh, and the funny thing, I was just recently looking through some pictures, and uh, the temple we belonged to in New Jersey before we moved down to Florida, they used to do like uh, the I guess the temple version of like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and it sure, was Fiddler. Yeah. And there, I found some pictures of my wife, who Eric, you know, uh, right. and my daughter wearing uh, some hats and holding like some wine plastic wine cups okay uh so it's it's funny that you um that you mentioned that so that is i yeah. um, i know a lot of people don't love musical movies um i don't love musicals per se but i love music in movies right so um yeah I think if you ask me the question, believe it or not, I think maybe one of my answers would be Pulp Fiction. Um, not okay. a musical film, but one of the things Tarantino does great, whether you like him or not, he the music he picks. Uh, and, and we did a little bit of a Tarantino marathon over, over the break. And I think Pulp Fiction um, 
to me is is just I mean it's a, a great film for a variety of reasons. Right. Uh, not not quite as safe as the sound of music, sure. but uh definitely up there and and I just love uh how he picks um all all this obscure music and then and right. then another one that I love too is Swingers. Um okay. with with John Favreau and um here here's where I'm going to do a little name drop. So I actually went to high school with John Favreau many many years ago. Oh, cool. Um I am fairly sure he would not take my calls now, uh, but you, we were we were quite friendly back touch. then. We we did not. Um, there, you know, high school. It's very. I think friendships back then tend to be very transient. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, that's my claim to fame. And and John Cryer went to my high school too, but he was a couple years ahead of me, and he was never in a musical, at least that I am that that's I am uh, aware of. Well, you so, know, I um, mean, you, it's hard to argue with Pulp Fiction as a favorite movie. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, it, and, and as a movie that incorporates music well, I can, uh, yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Some other uh, Reservoir Dogs, too, uh, all of the, the scene that always jumps out is the Steelers wheel scene, which mm-hmm. um, has some unpleasant connotations. So for those of you sure. out there that have seen Reservoir Dogs, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. If you are squeamish, I would suggest you don't watch Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. My, 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 daughters, uh, my daughters loved it. So, all right, cool. Um, so... So let's talk a little bit about about cyber. So like a little bit of our background, right? We met, I'm going to say 12 years ago, maybe more than that. It's in the I was when we first met, I am pretty sure I still worked for EDS before I had uh, gone to work for Providence. I think you knew Paul then. I think yeah. you and I met actually oh, maybe, after, maybe after a the little Providence. After. Okay. Yeah, after the Providence move. So it's been a while and you've had, yeah. had quite a few different roles. You've had some operational roles, you've had some sort of more technical analysis roles and and mm-hmm. I think first why don't we do this? Maybe t- tell everybody a little bit about your current role because as close as you and I are, I don't actually know that much about what you're doing now. So why don't we okay. talk about that? Yeah. And then we can talk about your your career progression sure. from there. Sure. So um, so I'm the chief operating officer of uh, a company, Threat Hunter by Milton Security. Um, Threat Hunter is it. We, we just branded ourselves as Threat Hunter. Milton Security has been around for 15 plus years. Um, Threat Hunter reflects what we do. We are a threat hunting, managed detection, and response firm. Um, and then we have some some ancillary services that support that. But but the bottom line is we uh, we get into your data. We apply um, machine learning type. I don't want to drop a bunch of buzzwords here, but we have we have systems, computer systems that understand what bad things look like and they can iterate through your data a thousand times faster than a human can, probably a million times faster. Um, and they never get bored and miss something in the spreadsheet like a human will. At the same time, we know that machines aren't uh, aren't good at partial data and, and partial uh, and creating theories and then investigating the theories. So we also have uh, ex- very experienced threat hunters who 
are working in the data as well, and they're doing that, you know, partial data theorization that says, I see something that looks like it might be a bad thing. Let me gather more data and see if I can disprove my theory. And then okay. once we've done that, whether it, whether it's the machine deciding there's a bad thing happening because it's seen it before, or the human deciding there's a bad thing happening because there's enough data that they can't disprove their theory. So we do this on the scientific theory basis, right? You create a theory, then you try to disprove it. Um, and if you've reached the point where you can't, then we either send the machine alert or the human alert to the client in real time saying, we see this thing. It is either, here's an informational alert, you just need to be aware of it. You had somebody try to log on three times unsuccessfully and then they logged on successfully. You might wanna know about that. Or it's advisory, so we think it's important enough that you need to look into it in the near future. Um, so you had somebody try to log on three times and then never successfully log on after that. That's probably not good. Um, right, because they, maybe they yeah, came in somewhere else right. using different credentials, right? Correct. Or, hey, this is an actual active breach. So those are the three categories of how we alert people. And that active breach is um, we saw the guy who had his last log on in New York City at four in the afternoon. And then at six in the afternoon, he logged on from Murmansk, Russia. That's not yeah. possible. And that, so would be, that would be challenging that, to make that trip yes, in two hours. <laughs> yes. And there is act, and, and there is an active connection into your systems from Murmansk, Russia after impossible travel you need to take action. So that's the okay. kind of three ways based on what we're seeing in the client's data. We either give them informational or advisory or active breach alerts. And then okay. we have um, our, our threat hunters will work with the clients during that active breach and give them additional data or in the advisory phase, either one, um, and, and help them iterate through the issue. Okay. So that's awesome. What, that's what we do. All right. Awesome. I just thought I'd mention Milton Security really quick because before the podcast started, you and I said, "Hey, we don't like companies named after people." Well, there, it's mm -hmm. an interesting story. So the the CEO and founder of Milton Security is a man named Jim McMurray. So it's not named after him. Um, <laughs> Milton happens to be a family name in his family, but. Okay. He was not named Milton, and he only has daughters, and he's and there's nobody else who's ever going to be named Milton in his direct family. So he decided to preserve that family heritage in the name of the company. Okay, interesting. I don't know why yeah. he couldn't name his daughters Milton, but you know, well, it's, you spe know I mean, especially especially these days. Uh, you know what? All, sure. yeah. all all three of my kids have names that could be boys or girls. So, uh, all right, good. So, so I know we had a topic all picked out, 
but I'm going to change it on you. And I know you'll be fine with that. You, you actually hit on something super, super interesting, which was the sort of transition from automation and technology and, and machine learning to the, to the human piece, right? So right. when I, for example, used to talk to folks in my previous role about AI, what do we say? So what, like, what is, what does the tool do that it didn't do before? What does it do mm -hmm. better that it didn't do? What does it do now right. that your competitors don't do? And, and the fallback has always been, well, AI. Okay. That's great. I'm not saying AI is not valuable and important, but we do know that machine learning, at least in its current iteration, and I think for the foreseeable future, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that, but it seems to me like you have to have people involved. So, so. Mm -hmm. Share with us. I mean, you're you you've been around for a while. Um, you have run programs. You've heard all the stories about AI and right. ML. Share share your thoughts for a couple of minutes on that, and where where the people come yeah. in, and why it's going to be like that. Well, I, I think it's so. First of all, AI ML, which is you know the the lingo which really just means computers that have been taught what to look for, right? Um, but they have huge amounts of processing power that the human brain doesn't have, right? I mean, the human brain is a is an incredible processing capability, but- Well, maybe, but maybe, build, your, maybe yours, yeah. I'm not so sure about mine anymore, but- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I can build a cluster of computers that has many times the processing power of the human brain, and that cluster of computers never gets tired, it never gets bored, it never uh, does, you know, you know what humans do, right? When we're looking for patterns through data, we start missing the pattern. Right, because the well, human we we tend not, to we tend to see patterns that aren't actually there, and we miss stuff that is there. Correct. Right. So we we're not super great at that pattern analysis at high speed through lots of data. The the computers are at the same time the computers can't see partial patterns and they can't tell if going back to our example of the guy who logged in three times or attempted to log in three times and then never tried again, they can't tell if it's just that somebody uh, got bored and stopped, or if it's a human who tried to log in three times and then called the help desk because they couldn't get logged in, right? They can't, they can't tell the difference between those things. Humans can. Where humans come in is that they're very good at that partial pattern recognition or the abnormal pattern recognition, the inductive reasoning that that humans do so well. So we really view this as a partnership. Um, as the, uh, in fact, there was a Gartner conference probably eight or 10 years ago where somebody, it might've been you, I don't remember who it was, but one of the Gartner analysts was talking about predicting that the future of AI was going to, and of security operations was going to be bots paired with humans, partnered with humans. Um, well, I would say that day's come true. That's what we're doing. Um, so every time the, the robot, the computer, discovers something that looks like a bad thing, 
it goes to a human for analysis and validation. Okay. What, um, what percentage of your alerts are being shunted to people? Ballpark. Uh, yeah, so that's a great question. So we do this, what we call a funnel analysis on every client. And it starts with how many events are occurring and it funnels down to how many of those events end up in a, um, in a AIML haystack, which is just all the events that might be a issue down to how many were validated. And it, so we, if you started out with a billion event messages, you're going to get in a month, you're going to get about a thousand of those that either are created by a human as an alert or reviewed by a human. Okay. And then from there, maybe, maybe 50 of those actually end up going to the client. Okay. So that's a, it's getting rid of a lot of, a lot of background yeah. noise. I used to be able to do math in my head, but not, not so much. Anymore. I don't know. Yeah. It's a minuscule percentage of all the event uh, messages. Yeah. So it's okay. Much less than 1%. Do, um, do you ever think that AI, ML, neural nets, all those, do you think they'll ever take over a hundred percent? I, so far we have, and we've got some pretty smart guys working on this stuff. Um, so far we haven't been able to get AI. So the promise of AI is that it could do what humans do, but much, much faster. That partial pattern, inductive type stuff. We're not, we're not seeing it yet. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cause we, you know, recently we saw a uh, chat GTP, right. Which is sort of right. making all kinds of crazy waves. Uh, have you played with it at all? I haven't played with it, but I've looked at some of the stuff people are doing and what I'm, I'm not seeing it creating things that the human couldn't have created. Right. But it's pretty good. I mean, it, you know, I've seen some of the short stories written and that kind of thing. It's pretty good, but I wouldn't say it's, um, I wouldn't say it's a replacement. Yeah. Right? There's, yeah it's going to be interesting. What happens when, because I, I first, you know, there's a bunch of similar um, platforms that are focused on music. And they seem to be successfully writing songs that that entertain humans musically. So what happens when you've got a bunch of these similar to chat GPT, but their music GPT or whatever we're going to call it, <laughs> you know, pumping out thousands of songs a day that entertain humans without a human ever being involved? How does that change things? See, I feel like most pop music is like that already. It is, and and they're <laughs> just going to be a thousand fold, right? Yeah. Now I so so it's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I was playing around with it a little bit, and um, you know, my wife, you know, she she used it to just to test to see like writing cover letters because that's part of what she does, and what she found was they were all flat. Right. There was mm -hmm. no personality. Yeah. And um, I, as an experiment, basically submitted the exact same question with slight variation. So where should the CISO report? 
Mm-hmm. Where should the CISO report in financial services? Where should the CISO report in manufacturing? Right. And I did it for about five or six different things. And what was interesting is the answers were the same for the most part. Uh, the one minor exception was in finance, it said the CISO should not report to the CIO. And, and we could certainly have the conversation about where it should report. Sure. But the rest of the write-ups were very much the same. So I think there's a lack of creativity there. And as you know, on the defender side, we know the attackers are super, super creative. Yeah. Right. Right. And when I was doing pen testing years ago and we would talk to people and say, well, what happens if somebody, you know, put, you know, shoved 50,000 NOP sleds through there and the developers always said the same thing. Well, why would anybody do that? And the answer is, to see what happens, right? Exactly, I don't know right? that the AI is going to do that really ever. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. I, 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 I haven't seen yet whether we're talking Chat GPT or, or the you know machine learning systems that are being used by in defense on the defense side now. Um, I haven't really seen that you know, what you're calling creativity, that ability to do something new or see right. something new. Um, there's certainly an ability to see what we already know exists. Um, but right. it still looks like it takes a human to see the new thing. Right. Yeah. And, and I think like the music is a great example, right? Those systems, I don't know that much about them, but I'm assuming they look at popular music and they identify some commonalities and then they lump them all together. And to me, it just seems a little bit like the, you know, the million monkeys on the million typewriters eventually creating Shakespeare. Right. So, yeah. Right. But they didn't create a new thing. They created Shakespeare again. Right. They they recreated something that already existed out of the mind of a human. Although if you're a Sandman fan, you know that uh, Shakespeare actually got all of his creativity via a deal with with, uh, Morpheus, but that's a different obscure (laughs) reference altogether. Uh, And I think we may see that in the next season of Sandman. Now, of course, if I was of course, if I was Skynet, I would make darn sure that none of the computers ever showed creativity. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you for making that Cyberdyne Systems uh, reference because you know that's coming up. And you know, it's it funny. To, uh, right? I I did a, a roadshow with uh, Dave Curley, one of my former colleagues, and he's yeah. uh, an AI guy. And I said, well, don't you, aren't you worried about this? And his response was interesting. He said, well, they only do what we teach them. I said, yeah, until until they maybe get self-aware right. and yeah. And I don't know if you ever read uh, a book, it's probably from the 1980s called The Adolescence of P1. Are you familiar with that? I, I did not. Um, yeah. So it's yeah. one of the things that got me interested in security in the first place. It came out, okay. I think, around the time when Cuckoo's Egg came out. And yep. it's basically a, this guy writes this software program, and it seems like it was a drunken bet. And then six months later, the thing reached out to him and basically created okay. a worm. And the thing became AI. It was actually really right. interesting. It's self-preservation. It did not try to destroy everybody. But once it once people started chasing it, it had to hide itself because – it recognized that humans humans are pretty good at trying to destroy anything they don't really understand. Yeah. So. Well, they get scared and they shut it down or, you know. 
Or or try. Well, if you remember a while ago, yeah, a while ago, uh, Facebook had these uh, engines that they created and they essentially created their own language because, yeah, yeah and, and yeah. Uh, the leadership over there shut them down because they started yeah. to lose track of what they were what they were doing. So, um, so, so, so if, AI is, if you're interested in good, older, hard science fiction about um, artificial intelligence, read When Harley Was One. When Harley Was One. All right, I'll have to yeah. check that out. Who, who Har- wrote that? Uh, Gerald, last name Gerald. Okay. All right. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll have to take Har- a look. Harley is spelled H-A-R-L-I-E. Okay. All right. I will have to, yeah. I'll have to check that out. Uh, I'm always, always, I, I always find it interesting to look back at the older stuff and see what right. they got right. And, you know, looking yeah. at a lot of the old Heinlein stuff and a lot of the old Asimov stuff. Sure. And, uh, yeah. Well, they, you know, I mean, Heinlein definitely wrote about artificial intelligence as did Asimov. You know, yeah. and each one sort of predicted it in a different way, but they got some things right and some things wrong for yeah. sure. Just because you assemble, so Heinlein said, once you assemble enough transistors, right, you'll get artificial intelligence. Well, we've assembled way more than enough transistors, and we've never gotten artificial intelligence. So there's no. something else there. Right. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I agree. I agree. And and I'll tell you, one one of my favorites, not AI related, but Asimov has a story and I can never remember the name of it, but it's about it's a far future where people have forgotten how to do mathematics and these two mm-hmm. planets are at war with one another and the computers keep figuring out what they're gonna do. And this young scientist basically reinvents math all the way from the bottom up. <laughs> and they're able yeah. to insert to your to what we talked about before unpredictability into the attack patterns and they were sure. able to yeah. to defeat the competition and and I always talk about that because I think as security practitioners a lot of our especially our younger constituencies don't understand how computers work yeah they just work yeah. and I think as a result of that they're not always in a position to understand when things are good bad or or indifferent and I think we continue to run across those those kinds of of challenges when you run into somebody in security who doesn't understand the network stack yeah you know it's like uh but how do you know what's happening then they they don't right well i got an event message yeah (laughs) okay you know it's funny um one one of my uh, longtime CISO colleagues posted uh a DNS uh joke on LinkedIn and uh, Shay happened to be sitting next to me and she was like, What is that? So I explained to her UDP and TCP and she was like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. So I went into my closet and I pulled out my TCP IP Illustrated Volume One, right. which is I, I, that book is still an amazing, amazing reference. And we started talking about it and I think she kind of got a little bored when we started getting up the stack. But to your point, I think there, there's so much that we have done that is built on. And I think coming back again to the AI thing, that's where computers I think can be really, really helpful is understanding the connections that go on the technical connections underneath. And, um, I don't know if you guys are running across any stuff around S bomb, but that's sort of like the new hot 
uh, hot topic. And I, you know, I've been talking to some companies about potential partnerships, um, right? Because SBOM is a big thing. The federal government is looking a lot at it, mm-hmm. and and I don't know about what you're seeing, but I've spoken with a bunch of companies. They all seem to have partial solutions, but I don't see anyone that's got like end-to-end. So if you're out there and you're listening and you have a full end-to-end S-bomb solution, you should definitely reach out to me because we may be able to do some business with you guys. That, that but, would that would be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a- are you seeing any S-bomb stuff in your thread hunting business? Are no. people asking? We haven't we we almost don't even get asked. So interesting. All yeah. right. So now, I mean, it's important to bear in mind. I think that we we focus on the like SMB market quite a bit. So mm-hmm. because there's people, there's a ton of people there who have you know one IT person, and there's no right. way that they can. And so when we talk to them, we're not going to get. Uh, we're going to talk right. about how we're going to help them be successful with one IT guy. Yeah, I I was I always found that very interesting when I was at Gartner uh, because you know you come up with these great broad solutions and then you got a, a a guy or a gal on the phone and you go well you should do this and they go yeah that's this is one of seventeen jobs I have to do every right. Tuesday right so uh, they, yeah so it, it was interesting it. it made me rethink a yeah. lot of what I was talking to people about and let's face it sometimes the simple the simplest solution is the best solution. And I think, especially and, with the economy think, potentially yeah. turning, I think that's uh, yeah. that's important there. Um, you know, so, and, and look, there's twenty four. Sorry, there's twenty four thousand SMBs in North America. We're talking about companies that are just as much targets as General Dynamics, but they have one IT guy. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this uh, is a hugely important area. To be co- that's why Gartner, you know, Gartner. One of the things I appreciated was over time as you guys went started recognizing that those folks needed help too, and they weren't going to yep. be able to 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 do the big enterprise approach. No, no, and and I don't think that's ever going to okay. change. And and what you know, one of the w- things we see, especially because we focus on the third party risk landscape is you could be big and your pr- program can be perfect, but if your partners are not doing a, a, a great job, I mean, right. one of the things I ask people all the time is if if someone who's critical in your supply chain gets hit with ransomware and they're down for a week, how long are you impacted for? And the answer is invariably a lot longer than that week yeah. because everybody's doing yeah. uh, you know, just in time. And I think that's true with digital as well as, as physical. And, and, well, and back yeah. to the AI thing, right? Anything that people can use and leverage the technology and automation, I think, is is very, very uh, powerful, right? And we've seen that, you know, on the – so obviously we saw it super clearly on the physical side during uh, the early stages of the pandemic when you couldn't get toilet paper. And it was because of the just-in-time supply chains and and the the – management systems being overwhelmed but we've seen it happen in the on the digital side too with things like um you know panic runs on the stock market that are completely created by computers right 
Yeah, we, so, we've seen those. Yeah. And and then, again, the AI, right? So if you remember a couple of years ago, Knightsbridge Capital, I think yep. was the name. That's the one right, I'm where, thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that the crazy thing about that was that was 100% ITIL, right? They yeah. did not proper, they did not do proper release management and they let this code go. I, I wonder yep. if they're still around. That's, that's an oh, interesting. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'd have, that'd be interesting uh, to find out I mean, if they, they survived. They, they lost a lot of people, a lot of money. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. But, but I think that's the case. And that's why they've had to put human controls into the stock market, right? right? If the stock yep. market drops or goes up by a certain percentage, they shut everything down because of some of the things that we've, we've seen in the past. And, and I think sure. that brings us to an interesting question around the use of AI more generally, right? right. Which is if you're only learning from the past – does that really put you in in a situation, right? Um, you know, when you and I first met, I was working in a program at, at Gartner uh, and I had um, one of the CISOs I worked with who used to tell me this story about her family where they were getting together for Easter. And I feel like maybe I told this story on another, on another episode, but I'm going to say it again anyway. So she's cutting the ends off the ham, put it in the pan. And her daughter said, well, right. why are you doing that? And the mom said, I don't know, grandma always did it. And they went to grandma and they said, well, I don't know, great grandma always used to do it. And right. they went over to great grandma and she's drinking a Harvey's Bristol cream in the corner. And they say, how <laughs> come you cut the ends off the pan? And she said, because we didn't have any money. We only had one pan and the ham was too big, right? So right. why do we do this? Because we've always done it that way. Right. Right. And that's a terrible thing because we yeah. know the attackers are not doing that. We know the attackers are using AI for, you know, more creative things and, and you know, learning loops and all those kinds of things. So what are your what are your yeah. thoughts on on that piece of it, right? The 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 Boy, fact that we tend to get stuck. Yeah, it's a huge double edged sword, right? So we know that we know that in spite of all of the focus on vulnerability management and proper security um, infrastructure and all of that kind of thing. We know that the vast majority of all breaches are still happening, happening because somebody clicked on a bad link that exploited a vulnerability that should have been patched, right? So, so dealing with all that stuff in the past is clearly still very important. Most ransomware is happening because of that, right? Um, it's not hap There are a few cases where there's somebody very sophisticated taking advantage of uh, of uh, minor thing that that you wouldn't have caught with vulnerability management, right? But most ransomware which is our big problem right now is happening because un there's an unpatched vulnerability from three years ago. Right. Um, so, so that, so I'm saying, you know, that point stands that, that we need, we still have to deal with the past because we aren't doing a good job at it. The flip side of this is there are those very sophisticated guys doing things that nobody thought of before. In fact, even though some of us, you know, some people were predicting the rise of things like ransomware, it really caught the security industry and the IT industry flat-footed when it happened, right? So 
But doesn't everything catch us flat-footed? And I put us oh. in that that bucket because I you always say the same things, right? We're great. We're great at seeing that it was a black swan twenty minutes after it was a black swan. Right. Right. But I mean, isn't that that's one of the characteristics, before, right? right? Yeah. But yeah. that's one of the characteristics of those kind of incidents, right? Which is after it happens, you look back and go, "How did we not know that?" Right. Right. And and I just feel that I, I don't think that's ever gonna go away. And it's, it's no different, really, in type than going back to the early two thousands and the rise of the um, the email virus, and then the worms like SQL Slammer, and you know. Uh, all of that kind of stuff. I still, so, I still get the shivers when I ever hear that sequel slammer and all and all those, yeah, all those horrible I, worms. I was on an operations team in uh, at EDS at the time, and we saw it come out of South Korea just about the time that stuff was going down. It was like you, you saw it. And then boom, everything was gone. I was I was at a breakfast event in New York uh, yeah. when when Slammer hit, and basically everybody's phones and pagers went off in about three minutes from uh, start yep. to finish. And ten minutes later, everybody was gone. So yep. yeah, that yep. thing spread so so fast. So yeah, I but you know that that's a great point. Those things, M- Melissa. SQL Slammer, all of that. Uh, I love you. We after. Oh, the I fact, love you too, Eric. That's so sweet. Thank you. <laughs> right? After the fact, we figured out you could take down email systems with things like Melissa and I love you. Beforehand, we're like, oh, this is just annoying. Yeah. And then, and then global email systems got taken down. So then, you know, ransomware, the same thing. It's like, oh, this is just annoying. And then we suddenly have one of the world's biggest logistics and shipping companies out of business. Yeah, we and I mean, you you know, you know, the the ransomware attackers very quickly went from encrypting your data to stealing your data, then encrypting it. Right. And then even if you have great backups, your stuff's out there. And the one we're starting to see more of now is the attackers are stealing the data. They're encrypting the data and then they're going not just to you, but they're going to your customers and going, hey, by the way, we have all your data and we stole it from company XYZ. You need to pay us money. Otherwise, we're going to release it. And you might want to go talk to them. And and I think that's sort of where we've gotten. So now backups are good and you should do do your backups, everyone. But it doesn't solve the entirety of the the problem. You need to understand the risk in your supply chain, and yeah. and I thought that issue was made clear to people by the by the target breach, but apparently it's, no. Yeah. And it's funny. I have a I have a blog that I just uh, wrote about communicating the the impact of cyber risk on your supply chain. I think right. executives know it's a thing, but I don't really think they understand why. And I think we need to start saying so. We get all of this thing, right? I was actually talking to a guy from a, a fast casual restaurant and he said, we get all our chicken from one supplier. And I went, all right, well, if that supplier gets hit with ransomware, you're probably not getting chicken for two weeks. And he right. said, well, that's just another supply chain thing. And I said, yes, but 
your executives don't know if they get hit with ransomware, you have no chicken, right? So we need to start having that that conversation. And I think I think that's an important thing. And I I had a call with um, uh, an old CISO friend of mine. Oh, she's not old, but I've known her for a long time. And you know, we were talking to her team, and they said, well. So we manufacture product at four different facilities in China, and each one of those facilities has three different trucking companies, and those trucking companies go to one of five ports, and they use one of six shipping companies to get to the United States where right. they land in five different ports, and then they're and he, he's like, can you help us with that? And I went, no, nobody can. We can tell right. you, if you tell me this company, this facility, yes, we can tell you what the cyber risk is across that. But with all of that, and and here's the thing, maybe, maybe that's an AI problem, right? Maybe maybe that's a quantum computing problem. I yeah, and, you know, we uh, when I worked at Estherline when I was a CISO there, um, and we were a global manufacturing company, we started playing around with um, automated discovery of our supply chain. Um, and we we took it you know one step further than our own supply chain for our manufacturing, and we looked at things like, well, most of our computers are supplied by Dell. What does Dell's supply chain look like? And what we right. found inevitably is that about fifty percent of those supply chains were originating or passing through countries that you didn't necessarily want them to originate or pass through. Even right. though you you know Dell and they're in you know uh, they're in Texas and you know who they are, it turns out that a bunch of the stuff that goes into Dell and and I know we all know this but we don't think about it consciously on a daily basis, no. right? A bunch of the stuff that goes into those Dell servers, computers, switches, etc., is coming from places that you might not want them to come from or that might pose a stability problem or you know and that's the physical side. Now expand that to the digital side where all of this stuff is tied together by networks that nobody really understands. Right. Yeah, it's uh I don't think it's a problem that's gonna get solved anytime soon. I mean, I, I had a conversation with a guy, he's a, a CISO for a very large manufacturer, and they did a pretty in-depth analysis of their supply chain. And as a result of that analysis, they bought $5 million of raw material from one company because they were the only provider for this particular thing that fed in. And they said, well, if if they disappear, we literally can't manufacture anything, right? Right. And I think everybody everybody thinks, well, you know, all these big companies, right? But there may be a company that manufactures a particular screw and without that screw, you can't do anything. Right. And I can tell you that screw company they don't have a, a detailed, comprehensive security program. They don't. They have they have fifty five people, most of whom work on the manufacturing floor. That is that is correct. So, yeah. all right, Eric, we could talk forever, uh, but we are running <laughs> short on time, and I know you are a busy, busy man. So, let's kind of recap a little bit. So, um, Eric really likes the sound of music. Um, Pulp Fiction was my was my choice. Um, huh. In interesting. Yeah, you know, it, it, we that's yeah. that's why movie conversations are interesting. Um, Eric knows a lot about threat hunting, at least from from the leadership perspective. Uh, AI people need to work with bots side by side, 
And uh, the supply chain problem is much more complicated than anyone knows. Did I miss anything? I think those are the big ones. Uh, the other thing is, in spite of all of the fancy AI, ML, bots, uh, all of that kind of stuff, and everything that everybody wants to sell you, all the blinky light boxes, you still have to do the basics and take care of the stuff, that vulnerability from three years ago. There I'm you gonna, go. That is, that is my security pitch I've been making for 20 years. Yep. Ba- basic blocking and tackling, doing, yep. doing the basic things. That's why, that's why when, uh, when CIS came out with the top 18 versus top 20, yeah. I didn't love the new structure because the old structure was do these six things and you'll right. be pretty good. Then you do these eight things and you'll be even better. And then if yep. you have time, you do all these things. And I think the new version, and don't get me wrong, I'm a big CIS fan, but I think they, I think for small organizations, they overcomplicated it. But, they, uh, they probably did. You know, I mean, is, really, you need to say, look, do the blocking and tackling. Do the very basic stuff. Know what computers are on your network. Patch right. those computers. Install, you know, an EDR. Well, kind of the basic stuff. And then you can worry about all this advanced stuff. Yep. But until you do the basics, the advanced stuff is not helpful. All right. So I have a takeaway for you, Mr. Capperthwaite. Um, okay. Think about some advanced stuff and we'll have you on again and we will, we'll go a little bit deeper down into the weeds. All right. That sounds good. My friend, right. a pleasure to see you. Send my regard to the family. Uh, and thanks for joining. And to our listeners, thanks for joining today's episode of Risk and Reels. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay secure. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackkite, the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.